Chapter Seventeen of the Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barbara Dirksen. The Frozen Pirate by W. Clark Russell. Chapter Seventeen The Treasure. When his pipe was out, he rose and made several strides about the cook room then took the lanthorn and entering the cabin stood a while surveying the place so this would have been my coffin but for you mr rodney said he i was in good company though pointing over his shoulder at the crucifix with his thumb lord how the rogues prayed and cursed in this same cabin in fine weather and when all was well the sharks in our wake had more religion than they but the instant they were in danger down they tumbled upon their quivering knees and if heaven was twice as big as it is it could not have held saints enough for those varlets to petition you were nearly all spaniards ay the worst class of men a ship could enter these seas with but for our calling they are the fittest of all nations in the world better even than the portuguese and with truer trade instincts than the trained mulatto nimbler artists in roguery than ever a one of them i despise their superstition but they are the better pirates for it they carry it as a man might have feather bed and enables them to fall soft do you take me he gave one of his short loud laughs and said i hope this slope won't increase the angle's stiff enough as it is twill be like living on the roof of a house i have a mind to see how she lies what do you say mr rodney shall i venture into the open why not said i you can move briskly you have as much life as you ever had let's go then he exclaimed and climbing the ladder he pushed open the companion door and stepped on to the deck i followed with but little solicitude as you may suppose as to what might attend his exposure the blast of the gale though it was broken into downwards eddying dartings by the rocks made him bawl out with the sting of it and for some moments he could think of nothing but the cold stamping the deck and beating his hands ha cried he grinning to the smart of his cheeks this is not the cook-room eh great thunder you will not have it that this ice has been drifting north why man tis icier by twenty degrees than when we were first locked up i hope not said i and i think not your blood doesn't course strong yet and you are fresh from the furnace besides it is blowing a bitter cold gale look at that sky and listen to the thunder of the sea the commotion was indeed terribly uproarious the spume as before was blowing in clouds of snow over the ice and fled in very startling flashes of whiteness under the livid drapery of the sky the wind itself sounded like the prolonged echo of a discharge of monster ordnance and it screeched and whistled hideously where it struck the peaks and edges of the cliffs and swept through the schooner's masts the rending noises of the ice in all directions were distinct and fearful the frenchman looked about him with consternation and to my surprise crossed himself may the blessed virgin preserve us he said do you say we have drifted north if this is not the very heart of the south pole you shall persuade me we are on the equator it cannot storm too terribly for us as you just now said i replied i want this island to go to pieces 
as i said this a solid pillar of ice just beyond the brow of the hill on the starboard side was dislodged or blown down it fell with a mighty crash and filled the air with crystal splinters tassard started back with a faint cry of bon dieu judge for yourself how the ship lies said i this is freezing work he went aft and looked over the stern then walked to the larboard rail and peered over the side is there ice beyond that opening he asked pointing over the taffrail no i answered that goes to the sea there is a low cliff beyond mark that cloud of white it is the spray hurled athwart the mouth of this hollow good he mumbled with his teeth chattering the change is marvellous there was ice for a quarter of a mile where that slope ends tis too cold to converse here there are your companions said i pointing to the two bodies lying a little distance before the mainmast he marched up to them and exclaimed yes this is trentanove and that is barros both were blind but they are blinder now would they thank you to arouse them out of their comfortable sleep and force them to feel as i do this cold to which they are now as insensible as i was by heaven for my part i can stand it no longer and with that he ran briskly to the hatch i followed him to the cook-room and he crept so close to the furnace that i thought he had a mind to roast himself no doubt newly come to life as he was the cold hurt him more than me and maybe the tide of those animal spirits which had in his former existence furnished him with a brute courage had not yet flowed full to his mind still i questioned even in his heyday if there had ever been much more than the swashbuckler in him which opinion however could only increase the anxiety his companionship was like to cause me by obliging me to understand that i must prepare myself for treachery and on no account whatever to suppose that for a moment that he was capable of the least degree of gratitude or was to be swerved from any design he might form by considerations of my claim upon him as his preserver it is among the wonders of human nature that antagonisms should be found to flourish under such conditions of hopelessness misery and anguish as make those who languish under them the most pitiful wretches under god's eye but so it has been so it is so it will ever be two men in an open boat at sea their lips frothing with thirst their eyes burning with famine shall fall upon each other and fight to the death two men on an island two miserable castaways whose dismal end can only be a matter of a week or two eye each other morosely give each other injurious words break away and sullenly live each man by himself on opposite sides of their desert prison beasts do not act thus nor birds nor reptiles only man what was in the frenchman tassard's mind i do not know in mine was fear dislike profound distrust a great uneasiness albeit we were alone we were brothers in affliction and distress as completely sundered from the world to which we belonged as if we lay stranded in the icy moon speaking in the same tongue and believing in the same god i can converse now said he perhaps after all the danger lies more in the imagination than in the fact 
but it is a hideous naked scene and needs no such colouring as the roaring of the wind the rushing of the seas and crashing falls of masses of ice to render it frightful you tell me said i that when you fell asleep i would sometimes express his frozen state thus there was a quarter of a mile of ice beyond the schooner's stern at least a quarter of a mile he answered day after day it would be built up till it came to a face of that extent i thought to myself if it has taken forty-eight years of wear and tear of storm and surge to extinguish a quarter of a mile how long a time must elapse before the island splits up but then i reflected that during the greater part of those years this seat of ice had been stuck very low south where the cold was so extreme as to make it defy dissolution that since then it was come away from the main and stealing north so that what might have taken thirty years to accomplish in seventy degrees of south latitude might be performed in a day on the parallel of sixty degrees in the summer season in those seas tassard continued speaking with the pannikin in his hand and his eyes shut as if to get the picture of the schooner's position fair before his mind's vision there was a quarter of a mile of ice beyond the ship i have it very plain in my sight it was a great muddle of hillocks for the ice pressed thick and hard and raised us and vomited up peaks and rocks to the squeeze suppose i have been asleep a week here he opened his eyes and gazed at me well said i i say he continued in a tone of one easily excited into passion a week it will not have been more it is impossible never mind about your eighteen hundred and one showing his fangs in a sarcastic grin a week is long enough friend then this is what i mean to say that the breaking away of a quarter of a mile of ice in a week is fine work full of grand promise the next wrench which might come now as i speak or to-morrow or in a week the next wrench may bring away the rock on which we are lodged and the rest is a matter of patience which we can afford hey for we are but two there is plenty of meat and liquor and the reward afterwards is a princely independence mr paul rodney i was struck with the notion of the bed of ice on which the schooner lay going afloat and said are sea and wind to be helped think you if the block on which we lie could be detached it might beat a bit against its parent stock but would not unite again the schooner's canvas might be made to help it along though suppose it capsized we must consider said he there is no need to hurry when the wind falls we will survey the ice he warmed himself afresh and after remaining silent with the air of one turning many thoughts over in his mind he suddenly cried do you know i have a mind to view the plate and money below what say you his little eyes seemed to sparkle with suspicion as he directed them at me i was confident he suspected i had lied in saying that i knew nothing of this treasure and he wanted to see if i had meddled with those chests one of the penalties attached to a man being forced to keep the company of liars is he himself is never believed by them i answered instantly certainly i should like to see this wonderful booty it is right that we should find out at once if it is there 
for supposing it vanished we should be no better than madmen to sit here talking of the fine lies we shall live if we ever get home he picked up the lanthorn and said i must go to your cabin it was the captain's the keys of the chest should be in one of his boxes he marched off and was so long gone that i was almost of belief he had tumbled down in a fit however i'd made up my mind to act a very wary part and particularly never to let him think i distrusted him and so i would not go to see what he was about but what i did was this the arms-room was next door i lighted a candle entered it and swiftly armed myself with a sort of dagger a kind of boarding-knife a very murderous little two-edged sword the blade about seven inches long and the haft of brass there were some fifty of these weapons and i took the first that came to my hand and dropped it into the deep side pocket of my coat and returned to the cook-room it was not that i was afraid of going unarmed with this man into the hold there was no more danger to me there than here should he ever design to dispatch me one place was the same as another for the dead above could not testify there were no witnesses in this white and desolate kingdom what resolved me to go armed was the fear that should the treasure be missing and who was to swear that the schooner had never been visited once in eight-and-forty years the frenchman who was persuaded his stupor had not lasted above a week and who was doubtless satisfied the chests were in the hold down to the period when he lost recollection would suspect me of foul play and in the barbarous rage of a pirate fall upon and endeavour to kill me thus you will see that i had no very high opinion of the morals and character of the man i had given life to and indeed after i had armed myself and was seated again before the furnace i felt extremely melancholy and underwent the severest dejection of spirits that had yet visited me fearing that my humanity had achieved nothing more than to bring me into the society of a devil who would prove a fixed source of anxiety and mystery to me was it conceivable that the others should be worse than or even as bad as this creature his hair showed him hoary in vice the italian was a handsome man and let him have been as profligate as he would as cruel and fierce a pirate as tassard had painted him he would at all events have proved a sightly companion and harmless as being blind though to be sure for that reason of no use to me yet though his blindness would have made him a burden i had rather have thawed him into life than the frenchman the mere thought of feeling under an obligation to arm myself filled me with such vindictive passions that i protest as i sat alone waiting for him i felt as if it were a duty i owed myself to return him to the condition in which i found him which was to be easily contrived by my binding him in his sleep and dragging him to the deck and leaving him to stupefy alongside the body of the giant joam barros peace cried i to myself with a shiver villain that thou art to harbour such thoughts thou art a hundredfold worse than the wretch against whom satan is setting thee plotting to think thus vilely i gulped down this bolus of conscience with the help of a draught of wine and it did me good lord how dangerous is loneliness to a man depend upon it your seeker after solitude is only hunting for the road that leads to bedlam 
it might be that he was long because of having to seek for the keys but my own conviction was that he found the keys easily and stayed to rummage the boxes for such jewels and articles of value as he might there find i think he was gone near half an hour he then returned to the cook-house saying briefly i have the keys and jingling them and after warming himself said let us go i was moving towards the forecastle not that way for the run cried he is there a hatch aft i asked certainly in the lazarette i wish i had known that said i i should have been spared a stifling scramble over the casks and raffle forwards he led the way and coming to the trap hatch that conducted to the lazarette he pulled it open and we descended he held the lanthorn and threw the light about him and said ay there are plenty of stores here we reckoned upon provisions for twelve months and we were seventy of a crew a strange figure he looked just touched by the yellow candlelight and standing out upon the blackness like some vision of a distempered fancy in his hair cap and flaps and with his long nose and beard and little eyes shining as he rolled them here and there we made our way over to the casks bales and the like till we were right aft and here there was a small clear space of deck in which lay a hatch this he lifted by its ring and down through the aperture did he drop i following the lazarette deck came so low that we had to squat when still or move upon our knees at the foremost end of this division of the ship so far as it was possible for my eyes to pierce the darkness for it seems that this run went clear to the forehold bulkhead that is to say under the powder room to where the forehold began were stowed the spare sails ropes for gear and a great variety of furniture for the equipment of a ship's yards and masts but immediately under the hatch stood several small chests and cases painted black stowed side by side so that they could not shift tassard ran his eye over them counting right cried he hold the lanthorn mr rodney i took the light from him and pulling the keys from his pocket he fell to trying them at the lock of the first chest one fitted the bolt shot with a hard click like cocking a trigger and he raised the lid the chest was full of silver money i picked up a couple of the coins and bringing them to the candle perceived them to be spanish pieces of eight the money was tarnished yet it reflected a sort of dull metallic light the frenchman grasped a handful and dropped them as though like a child he loved to hear the chink the pieces made as they fell there's a brave pocketful there said i tut cried he scornfully tis a mere show of money resolve it into gold and it becomes a lean bit of plunder this we got from the conquistador it was all she had in this way destined for some monastery i recollect but disappointment is good for holy fathers it makes them more earnest in their devotions and keeps their paunches from swelling he let fall the lid of the chest which locked itself and then after a short trial of the keys opened the one beside it this was stored to the top with what i took to be pigs of lead and when he pulled out one and bade me feel the weight of it i still thought it was lead 
until he told me it was virgin silver this was good booty cried he taking the lanthorn and swinging it over the blocks of metal it would have been missed but for me our men had found it in the hold of the buccaneer in a chest half as deep again as this and thought it to be a case of marmalade for there were two layers of boxes of marmalade stowed on top i routed them out and found these pretty bricks of ore snug beneath i believe mendoza made the value of the two chests silver though it be to be equal to six thousand pounds of your money the next chest he opened was filled with jewellery of various kinds the fruits i dare say of a dozen pillages for not only had this pirate robbed honest traders but a picaroon as well that had also plundered in her turn another of her own kidney so that as i say this chest of jewellery might represent the property of the passengers of as many as a dozen vessels it was as if the contents of the shop of a jeweller who was at once a goldsmith and a silversmith had been emptied into this chest you could scarce name an ornament that was not here watches snuff-box buckles bracelets pounce-boxes vinaigrettes earrings crucifixes stars for the hair necklaces but the list grows tiresome in silver and gold but chiefly in gold all shot together and lying scramble fashion as if they had been potatoes this is a fine sight said tassard pouring upon the sparkling mass with falcon nose and ravenous eyes here is a dainty little watch fifty guineas would not purchase it in london or paris where is the white breast upon which that cross there once glittered ha the perfume has faded bringing a vinaigrette to his hawksbill the soul is gone the body is the immortal part in this case now my friend talk to me of the patient drudgery of honourable life after this collecting the chests so to say to my view with a sweep of the hand men will break their hearts for a hundred livres ashore and be hanged for the price of a pinchbeck dial when i was in london i saw five men carted to the gallows one had forged one was a highwayman i forget the other's businesses but i recollect on inquiring the value of their beggings that for which they were hanged it did not amount to four guineas a man look at this he swept his great hand over the chests is not here something worth going to the scaffold for his bosom swelled his eyes sparkled and he made as if to strike a heroic posture but this he could not contrive on his hams i was thunderstruck as you will suppose by the sight of all this treasure and looked and stared like a fool as if i was in a dream i had never seen so many fine things before and indulged in the most extravagant fancies of their worth here and there in the glittering huddle my eye lighted on an object that was a hundred perhaps two hundred years old a cup very choicely wrought that may have been in a family for several generations a watch of a curious figure and the like there might have been the pickings of the cabins trunks and portmanteau of a hundred opulent men and women in this chest and so far as i could judge from what lay atop the people plundered represented several nationalities 
but there were other chests and cases to explore ten in all two of these were filled with silver money a third with plate a fourth with english french spanish and portugal coins in gold but the one over which tassard hung longest in a transport that held him dumb was the smallest of all and this was packed with gold in bars the stuff had the appearance of mouldy yellow soap and having no sparkle nor variety did it affect me as the jewellery had though in value this chest came near to being worth as much as all the others put together the fixed transported posture of the pirate his little shining eyes intent upon the bars his form in the candlelight looking like a sketch of a strange wildly apparelled man done in phosphorus coupled with the loom of the black chests the sense of our desolation the folly of our enjoyment at the sight of the treasure in the face of our pitiable and dismal plight the melancholy storming of the wind moaning like the rumble of thunder heard in a vault and above all the feeling of unreality inspired by the thought of my companion having lain for eight and forty years as good as dead combined to render the scene so startlingly impressive that it remains at this hour painted as vividly upon the eye of memory as if i had come from it five minutes ago so cried the frenchman suddenly slamming the lid of the chest these all here now then to the business of considering how to come off with it he thrust the key in his pocket and we returned to the cook-room End of chapter 17 Recording by Barbara Dirksen